Hello and welcome to another edition of the Fabulous Woman podcast. This time round, you're going to be hearing from multi-potentialite Nova Reed. Intrigued? Well, stay tuned. Hello, welcome back. But hang on, if it's your first time with me, then a big, ginormous hello, first time hello. I'm Marvarine Cole. Uh, I'm the all-round nosy person asking the questions. I'm pretty used to that because I'm a journalist and broadcaster from Birmingham who's done that job for many years. 16 years of working in TV and radio news and current affairs. Now, this podcast is your one-stop shop for voices from women who are doing incredible things with their lives after triumphing over big obstacles. Although I'm not sure triumphing is actually a word, but I like it anyway. We've been all through sorts of things like this. And these fabulous women, in some cases, offer advice and inspiration to us for the future, which really is the aim of this podcast. So Nova Reed is my fabulous woman today. She's a multi-potentialite. What the heck is one of those, I hear you say? Well, it means someone who's skilled in a number of ways, has many passions and creative pursuits. Nova is many things, and I'm not going to give anything away. Well, a bit. Um, Mental health work, ethnic diversity, filmmaking, weddings. They're all deep interests for her. So sit back, relax, listen and learn as I reveal Nova Reed, fabulous woman. As ever, with every episode, I always start with asking my guests to describe who they are. I am a black woman. I am an entrepreneur. I am a change maker and I am a wife. Fabulous. So for anyone who hasn't been nosying and uh, looking you up online before listening to this episode. Tell us more about what you do. What are you doing now? Um, I do quite a few things. So I think I'd be called something, something is floating around the internet called a multi-potentialite. So um, the overarching factor is I love helping people. So I help people be the change they want to see in the world. And I do that through diversity and con- inclusion consultancy. I do that through anti-racism training Um and I do keynote sessions, workshops, online training, having difficult conversations with people. I'm also founder of a wedding blog and show called New Bride that celebrates diversity in the wedding industry, an industry that's very homogenous. So, wow! So weddings and um, difficult, difficult conversations. Now they, they could have, <laughs> it feels like they couldn't be further apart. But uh, so let's talk about how you got to the wedding side of things. What motivated you into getting uh, to set up this the New Bride? frustration uh i got engaged was not somebody who really fantasized to get about getting married um i was very independent woman it was i was quite late into my 20s before i even found my husband so i was career focused uh so when i sort of stumbled across the wedding industry it was an industry that i didn't know much about did what most women I imagine who are interested in planning an exceptional day and went straight in got the magazines and I flicked through two of them and they have several hundreds of pages each 
and I didn't find a single personal person of colour in any of them, not even somebody who was olive skinned. I thought, oh, this is odd. Um, and so at that point, I was also going through, I just started working in mental well-being, mental health. And I was just going through my own self-development. You have to go through your own counselling and your own supervision to work in that field. And a lot about my race and my identity was at the surface at that time. So I remember consciously thinking, Nova, this is right at your conscious mind. Uh, take a step back, you know, are you just being paranoid? And so I gave it some time, uh, but I wasn't. It was the same things at wedding shows, just models on the catwalk were all white. Everyone was on, everyone was white on magazines. Uh goodie bags with tanning products in <laughs> hotel brochures with um Sorry, I've got a lot. white couples it was like wow mm. like nobody who's got a bit of melanin in them is getting married and so I started it firstly to run and um mm. my story resonated with lots of other people and so that was online was it or yeah, did it you produce it yeah. yeah wedding blog called new bride just started um just started to document my planning and to speak about the fact that why am I so invisible this was it was bringing back feelings I had as a young six or seven year old watching Disney and not connecting with the message and not feeling like I could not feeling like those stories were about people who looked like me and I felt exactly the same in the wedding industry and I was like this is ridiculous so having done that how long did you establish or how long has the blog been established um so I started it in 2012 and it was uh turned into a professional blog in 2014 um, so yeah, it's been seven and a bit years since its first inception. What sort of impact is it having? It's having, uh, to me, it feels frustratingly slow because <laughs> I like to see things done now, but it is having an impact. There are changes being made. Um, we launched our very first wedding show in London in April um, and that received uh incredible national press on the BBC and um, also Refinery29 and so it's definitely speaking to a demographic of modern couples who may or may not be having uh, a multicultural celebration but definitely don't feel like they are being inspired or represented in the mainstream industry. Was it your aim um, or what was your aim? Was it to shake up the industry or you know did you try and approach wedding publications to go hey this isn't my experience and the experience of other people of different nationalities and colors why don't you try and be a little bit more diverse <laughs> did you try that or did you just go right okay I'm just going to create this space that actually does reflect a more representative a fairer um, span of people who live here I went to them first and I wrote to them as a bride-to-be at that point saying why are you not including me and one didn't even have the courtesy to reply. I'm laughing because that magazine's no longer in, in existence. Whoops. <laughs> in fact, neither of them are. Oh and my. the second one, um, oh they came back and said, yes, we do feature lots of couples of different colours. And I thought, well, you're lying to me because I can see the publication here in black and white. And no, you don't. So I thought rather than waste, it's supposed to be a positive period of my life, rather than waste my energy getting wound up, I'm just going to do my own thing. So, yeah. 
Fantastic. And then um, let's talk about your difficult conversations work then, because, you know, I see you um, on Instagram and on Twitter and LinkedIn talking about the the kind of sessions that you're holding um, for professional organisations and corporate organisations talking about um, race and diversity. How did you then make the step into that work as well? Well, it, um, it was a natural progression from New Bride, really. What was happening was corporates or uh, sort of well-known brands were coming to me saying, wow, your your audience, though I, I don't have an enormous following like some of the more mainstream platforms, I have a very loyal and engaged one and I know my audience intimately. So brands were like, how do we, you know, we want a piece of that and how do we, we're not reaching these types of people. You know, they are our ideal clients. How do we do that? So I... I guess informally started offering them some form of diversity consultancy and then it wasn't until uh, uh, he's actually an investor but he was just giving me some free advice said you should formalize this this is how you do it and so it then became a, a formalized service that I offered it was helping people learn how to be more inclusive without tokenizing them and it was just it was drawing on all the other um skills I already had from working in mental health and disability I've always been an advocate for the underdog and it's about helping people understand what reasonable adjustments are the difference between equity and equality so it just naturally transferred over into the corporate world. Does it surprise you the types of companies that approach you for this sort of advice? No um, what I often get is there's a lot of Im- embarrassment sometimes from some either individuals or companies because I work with small business owners and individual people who just want to role model change in some way. Um, and sometimes there's an embarrassment that they are progressive, they are woke, they are liberal or whatever the l- lingo is and that they should know more or that they should be doing better. But I'm, I believe that we're all on this journey. We, we never know it all. And I think just going with curiosity and openness helps us all grow. So, yeah. Totally. I mean, you know, we all know we don't know it all. Yeah. And I think it's our, it's, it's our duty. I think, you know, we've got to tap into our own our own humanity and go you know what don't I know and how can I go and educate myself so that actually instead of being all embarrassed and oh I'm scared I'm going to say the wrong thing why don't you just go and look go and look for the information ask ask experts like yourself that's what companies are doing um, or ask people you know and say just be really frank with them and say I genuinely don't know I would really like to know can you tell me something of, of your your culture and you know what is the right thing to say and what are your views on xyz it's not hard but i think you know a lot of people don't want to ask a lot of people are afraid to ask huge fear because of their own embarrassment um you know and i'd rather people ask mm. you know than just not say anything or kind of go like all shy and quiet you know that's well, it doesn't help. No. It doesn't help make change. But yeah, fear is a huge component and it just causes inaction. Yeah. So let's turn the clock back. Um, what are your childhood memories? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Hertfordshire. What was that like? Where were you? Town, village? Town. And uh, I grew up in Watford, which is very different now than to what it was when it when I grew up, we were, you know, there weren't many, there weren't many black and brown people around. Um, and I didn't really notice I was different until I was about seven years old. Um, and it was just realising that 
I, I wondered why I didn't look like everybody else. So like my mum is, is red skin, so we call red skin in our community. And I'd be like, why aren't I as light as you, mummy? I'd already received programming that told me somehow lighter was better. Um, and I remember going through phases where um, what it, a young girl across the road who didn't know any better asked her mum why I was the same colour as Pooh. What? Yeah. And that was... I guess that was the defining moment where I knew I was black and I was different. And it, what it triggered in me was that I was dirty. Mm. And so I went through a period of time which was devastating for my mum and dad where I was trying to wash my skin off. Oh, no. Yeah. So what I find quite fascinating is how something that used to make me feel so vulnerable is now the background and the body of the work that I do. Mm. Mm. How did you get through that time then from that realisation at such a young age that this is how one girl across the road thought, but then it kind of expands, doesn't it? And that you realise quite a few people out there, plenty of people think that uh, we are not equal because of the colour of our skin. Well, it went on and on. It's just, you know, at different life events. So you're at school and then there's the boogie, uh, bullying, boogie, boogie, and then the boogie. Well, there was some of that, to be fair. Um, But the bullying, the racist tropes on walls, Nova is the N-word, go back to your own country, waving. uh, So I I am still, I still am aware that I have a gut response when I see a... A Union Jack flag. Not a Union Jack, an England England flag. flag. Whoa. Um, Because they were used as a a weapon with which to say you are other. Um, So... It was, it was, it was, it was, it was present sort of at every life event in some form of way, sort of every milestone, school, not so much college, but then it resurfaced when I was at university. I was studying sort of professional dance and musical theatre. It's very much about what you look like. Mm. Again, I was a minority, me and the own uh, three black girls in my year, and we were always mixed up. We don't, we did nothing like each other. They always mixed us up. Um, well, Nova, darling, you're never going to play that role, you black dear. To your face. Oh, yes. It's horrific. Still happens now, that yeah. sort of thing, but I'd like to think, well, hopefully less common. So what, because racism is a mental health issue. It impacts on us and our emotional well-being. How did it impact on you this through the, through the years? I mean, for me, so now I've, you know, I've done, one, I've done my own therapy, and two, and I've, two I've done my own education around race uh, matters so I have the lingo and the language and the understanding and the emotional intelligence I didn't have back then but back then it manifested in anxiety low self-esteem and low confidence and I think when I was younger um, there was an element of self-hate that didn't last that didn't last long I think being involved in performing arts and acting and things like that helped but there was an element of self-hate you know, I, I, um, that resonates with me massively. Wow. I, you know, I, I went through that 18 at university. Um, I think some people, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone, but I think, you know, some people listening will, that will resonate with. And at, at some point in their life, um, it was something they went through, but hopefully have, have gotten through. Cause I think, you know, you, as you grow with age and experience, then you can try and you can throw off some of these issues and you become much more educated about self and history black history right so you know you then 
you know, you're then filled with with pride about our history. Yeah. The 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 problem is that it is um, it's played down, isn't it? We all know the issue about his, black history not being taught to the extent to which it should in schools. But then we have Black History Month. Yeah, great. It should be Black History Year. We should just be talking about the wonderful cultures and part um, of British history. In Britain. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Right. Thank you, David Olasoga, for your great work <laughs> yes, in this area. You. Thank you, David. Um, yeah. So, it, yeah, the self-hate. Oh, it's it's mm. horrific when you're going through it. It's horrific. Yeah. It really is. And I remember conversations and it's not to say that I didn't have them with my mum, but I, I have I have stronger memories of my dad trying to build me up you are worthy you are beautiful blah 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 and I remember thinking but you're biased you're my dad so whatever you say to me it's just going over my head but I remember him consciously doing that and so um apart from those horrible times um handling you know life through the lens of racism what was what were your younger years like were they fun they were experiences fun. so yeah you know <laughs> minus that component yes um they were fun i come from a strong uh, family with strong value values we're very close uh, i have a brother who's a who's an illustrator so we're very creative my mum's a cake baker my wow. dad's an athletics coach so we were wow. always doing stuff together and, fabulous um we used both me and my brother used to compete in athletics no way yes what and my brother did very jumper? well i love the 100 meters okay. also long jump my brother he was just good at everything <laughs> he still holds the national record in the triple jump for i think the under 15s uh, the English record. <laughs> That's amazing. So whatever he did, he was great at. So yeah, lots of cheeky family days out, and yeah, a lot of fun. Excellent. Um, so, what would you say has been the kind of biggest um, adversity that you've overcome in your life? Is there anything you can think of in particular that um, you know you've you've been through and then come out the other side? Would you say? I mean, there's so many. Um, you know overcoming personal tragedy and but I think the one that is is feeling uh more prevalent at the moment is just the the self-worth piece uh this this the self-acceptance um because if you are rooted and your self-worth is strong then whatever goes on around you you will be okay and that has been life-changing for me to get to a place where and it's not to say that I don't get off balance and I don't experience low self-esteem or low self-confidence every now and then but I bounce back and I know what to do and I know that whatever happens I will be okay what do you do are there any <laughs> tips and advice for those of us because we all we all wax and wane through that yeah you know there's some days we wake up we feel mighty we're gonna take on a world of sunshine and yeah <laughs> you look in the mirror that like, I look good today how you do it you know and then there are other days uh, for whatever reason I find it's when tiredness strikes me sure. you know and I'm exhausted have a bad night's sleep and I just feel like I don't want to get out of bed today this is going to be the slowest toughest day yeah. and everything is bad and nothing good's going to happen we all slip between those days right yeah. so any tools tips that you use that we could use yeah I mean aside from I I am an, a massive advocate for uh, either 
therapy or coaching or both something where you have somebody who is a professional to give you an external perspective um, and support throughout and that could be uh, professionals or a network of like-minded people but having external support massively helps gives you perspective um, and doing anything that changes your state if you wake up in the morning and you automatically think you're not going to have a good day you're not going to have a good day um, so um, it's reframing that sometimes you need to literally stay change your energy so it might be if you're going down this spiral where you're ruminating go and do some exercise <laughs> stand up uh, sing, put your favourite music on that energises you. <laughs> we do exercises, stretching exercise in the studio. <laughs> you, 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 you literally want to change what is going on in your body physiologically. And so exercise is a really good way of doing that. Um, positive affirmations um, and sometimes recognising when you need to rest and when you need to stop. Bang on. The power of the mind is so strong uh, when you said that I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Jamie Smart's work Clarity mm, oh. I have to look it up yeah and it's just about um, how you should believe in yourself and the experiences that you have trust in your own experience trust in your knowledge um, so that then we are not overthinking we are not worrying about things that are ahead that we can, we can have no impact on um, and just be self-assured and go, okay, this is, this is going to be fine because I've done X before, it's yeah. going to be fine. I've gotten out of Y before, so why can't I get out of this again? Or just clarity of the mind and not worrying about something you cannot yes. um, affect. It's really important. Yes. Um, well, thank you for those tips. Um, what is... Um, troubling you at the moment <laughs> about uh the current news agenda <laughs> okay what isn't <laughs> is that an easier is that an easier question okay there's two things but i'm sick to the back teeth of even hearing it but it, it's brexit but it's very much like what we just expressed that is not something that is within my control just tell me what the implications will be so i can get on and move on with my life <laughs> But it is, it is troubling. I guess the element of it is just seeing um, racism being normalised by people in positions of power and how very dangerous that is. Um, what feels like an increase in uh, hate being expressed more overtly. Those sorts of things uh, do trouble me. Um, and also just the, the you know, hi hidden hidden racism, the biases um, that come out in sort of everyday comments by prime ministers calling Muslim women in burqas letterboxes and things like that. It's problematic. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, so many of us, you know, right minded feel the same. <laughs> right. But um what do we do? Because almost, you know, I, I see these headlines every day. We and we all debate them every day. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. But I often get overwhelmed by a feeling of powerlessness mm. in in that. Well, what can we do to stop the tide? Right. Yeah. Um. Do you ever get that feeling, or, or what do you think about? Is there any way that we can? And what can we do to stop that feeling? I don't get the feeling of powerlessness. I get the feeling of exasperation sometimes because I think people don't realise 
how much of the solution that they are part of because they think that hate, racism, divide is something that's so big, so prolific um, when it just takes every single one of us to have the curiosity to start interrogating, self-interrogating our own, our own bullshit because we're all capable. We do it. We do it now. Um, there's been another massacre in America um, with men who are white once again using their guns as weapons to cause mass destruction. And so, of course, there is rightful anger, um, but then disgusting human beings, racist this, racist that. And what we end up doing is dehumanising each other on both, both sides. So the extreme... And don't get me wrong, that these people who are causing these atrocities absolutely must be held accountable and anger is rightful. Um, but we can do that without dehumanising each other because we're not going to get to a place of um, understanding why we are thinking the way we're thinking and why we are causing harm to each other if we keep dehumanising each other because dehumanising is what enabled slavery to happen for centuries where you think somebody is subhuman and it's dangerous. But then what are the solutions? How do we not do that then? Um, what do we, you know, what do we do about moving that forward? And and, and it makes it even, it, it makes it even harder, you know, when the president of the United oh, I States. Mean, that's hard uh, for me. I'm not saying this is easy. Without saying anything, <laughs> you know, downright and might as well be endorsing um, white supremacy. Um, it makes it even harder when, uh, you know, our new prime minister has ex espoused racist views quite openly and been allowed to in, in his writings and what have you. Um, it so if these people who are leading, you know, these two powerful countries um, are in these positions of power they are it's almost like everyone who who wants to be racist is feeling buoyed mm -hmm. to, to, to use the language so where do we go from there like if it's happening i think chunk it down so thinking about president or prime minister is is it's too distant from where we are we can't affect that change um other than being strategic with how we vote and even that only has a certain impact <laughs> look at this situation we're in Brexit. <laughs> yeah. but it's chunking it down who is in your family who is who who you are letting casual racism pass by? Who is in your friendship circle that causes microaggressions that you haven't spoken to about it yet? What is going on in your workplace? What is going what's the what's the community like within your church? Um, what can you be doing to have these difficult conversations or to drive forth initiatives that make these environments more inclusive or where you can have uncomfortable conversations about how you make impact within your own communities tackle it at grassroots yeah yeah bang on um you talk about church does faith have a place in your life no not anymore now listen you can't, <laughs> can't sit here and say that to a journalist nova because i'm like okay so there's a story let's hear the it's story it's not a big story right? i think i was i was christened um jamaican family you kind of you have to go to church <laughs> It's interesting. I didn't have to didn't go to you? church. No. The only thing I loved no. about church was the gospel choir. Um, and so I used to sing with the gospel choir, not so much anymore. But um, that was the thing that, 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 that was where I found my joy. But there was just, it just wasn't, it just didn't. 
what denomination? What were you like? You know, Pentecostal. Uh, can't remember. No. Not 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 that. Not no, Catholic. No. Just a C of E, but you know, yeah, like, there's all Church sorts of, of different. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, my cousins, so my my dad's side, yeah, my dad's brother's side, my uncle's side, um, they are all Seventh Day Adventist. Mm. Um, but for some reason, I don't know, we didn't go. That our little caucus of coals, our caucus of coals, <laughs> we never went to church. No, I was never brought up in the church. That. And it was just the strangest thing because then, you know, I'd be with girls at school, they're all like, yeah, church, Sunday school. I'd be like, what? Mm. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I do believe and all that, but that's not about me. But anyway, I just, yeah, want, I just, I, I just thought, because you talked about, you mentioned church, and I just thought, does it have yeah, a, a I mean, place in your I have, life? Yeah, I mean, I have faith, I have belief in things that are bigger than us um but i'm not a practicing christian there are there are too many things that that don't that don't hit that don't land with me and my own beliefs and values gotcha so then we're almost coming back full circle now because um i want to know um where you're going from here what's your trajectory looking like short medium long term future plans for nova reed's empire There's a project that I'm not allowed to talk about. I was going to say, don't don't be drawn because you know you know you you know what journalists are like, right? I could probe you uh, to spill all the beans. I can't. But I know that you, <laughs> <laughs> you 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 be as as um, covert or as overt as you would like. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's definitely a movement for more individual people, people who are wanting to consciously raise socially conscious children and not to pass on sort of microaggressions, hidden racism, and just to better understand how to have conversations with children about race. So I'm doing, I have an online anti-racism course and that's gaining momentum. I have, uh, I, I'm doing a masterclass um, uh, around this subject and yeah, more and more businesses are starting to engage in making their organizations actively anti-racist which is encouraging um and i'd love to do more 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 tv and more film just talking about this stuff but yes you talk about tv and film of course you um did a lot of that last may didn't you when a certain new royal was accepted into the british royal family (laughs) namely the duchess of sussex um, you were on the circuit uh, in the run-up to and on the day, weren't you, in your um, capacity as wedding expert? What was that experience like? Where were you? Where were the, the hits that you were doing? For which channels? And what was the experience like? It was, um, it was, it was wonderful. It was overwhelming. And it was incredible. And it was stressful all at the same time because I had 15, I think I had 15 media interviews in one week in the middle of hosting a self-care retreat in Marrakesh. <laughs> I don't even know how that's possible. Did you actually split yourself in two? I managed. I remember, didn't you come back from Marrakesh, like literally, and then from the airport, did a car pick you yes. up for Sky from the airport that's and correct. took you straight on, on the day of the wedding? On or was the it day, the day before? It was the day before the wedding, but the driver forgot <laughs> where he parked. crazy thing. Driver forgot where he parked, and so I was sitting in Gatwick Airport while he ran up and down all the all the car parks. I just sat there and ate a sandwich. I thought, what can I do? 
<laughs> so I got there uh, quite, I was cutting it fine. That but, is hilarious. So it was with Sky News. It was with BBC One, BBC News, BBC Five Live, RTL. There was a New Zealand station. <laughs> yeah, multiple. Excellent. And that, was that the first time you'd done um, such a round of interviews? Because, you know, there might be someone sitting listening going, well, wow, how the heck did you do that? Mm. How did you prepare yourself for that mentally? Um, tell us about that that process. How did you handle all of that? It was um, the first set of main... I'd done some interviews before, like podcasts and things, but it was it was the biggest main stage I've been on. And I have my former acting training to help so um, I used to act and and uh, work in musical theatre professionally so that definitely helped <laughs> um, but I remember thinking this is going to be very very intense I need to up my self-care so I was just doing more things to look after myself more exercise um, more time making sure I slept well ate well all of those things that I knew when I'm normally burning out um you drop all the things that are a natural coping strategy so I increase them mindfulness um and also again it's self-belief it's trusting that you know your subject because they found me through new bride they'd seen articles videos topics where I'm speaking quite candidly about race and what it may or may not mean to have um Megan in the British family and um, they saw that I was an authority on that. And so they, they all wanted to, to speak with me. And it's, I think I owe uh, the Duchess a lot because they're still calling me up every time there's something about Megan in the press. Nova, can you comment? So it's great. Every week at the moment. Boy, <laughs> the right wing papers got it in for her. Oh, God. Um, it's really interesting, actually, that, you know, when I've, because I've trained a lot of people who, who are experts in whatever their field is to talk on TV or radio. Um, and the, the, the advice is in the title, expert. You have to know your subject. And actually a little bit more around that as well, because if you're doing a, lo- a live spot, like you, all of those hits you were doing, most of those hits that you do were live, weren't they? For the Royal Wedding, they were all, I did a documentary with Sky News. Other than that, everything was live. So in that moment, you don't know whether the presenter asks you a question and is expecting an answer. And you don't know whether the presenter has been told in their ear, OK, well, we just got to keep this going for another five, ten minutes. Right. <laughs> and then they, so you don't know. You might be questioned on the spot for a very long time. So you need to have a real depth of knowledge, not just, yeah, I think I know a little bit about that. Yeah. You can't wing it. No. You can't wing it. So you can't call yourself an expert unless you really. Yeah truly are um did you get any tricky questions that you were like a little bit flummoxed by and thought oh how am I gonna answer that I remember so the eve before the wedding was the day I was (coughs) delayed at the airport because my my driver (laughs) forgot where he parked so when I arrived I I had I had wanted a time an hour to get my head out of self self self-care retreat and travel mode into I'm going to be on telly in front of however many million mode. And I didn't have that moment. And I remember panicking. Well, not not panicking, but feeling anxious about that. Um, and then I just had a moment where I just centred myself and uh, just Nova, trust, you know, trust that you know your subject. And I went on stage and I just trusted that I knew my subject. And I did. I don't know how else to say it. It's like if you know your subject, then whatever they ask you, you'll be able to give a response to. Yeah, 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 good, good. Um, 
Can we talk about your film? Yeah. So you're also a film director. Mm. Yeah, I guess I am. Producer and director, because you, <laughs> you produced your yeah. own film, didn't you? So um, how did that... What, what was it? Yes. How did it come about? So it's called Other, and it came about when in 2016 I was on a, a short course that was um, introduced in conjunction with the BFI, British Film Institution and Creative Skillset, where they were trying to... Uh, encourage or get momentum from more people in the TV, filming, directing, producers from the Black and BAME network and also more women. Well, um, Yeah, but we know you're black and minority ethnic. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean. I do. (laughs) Sorry. Rude. Hashtag rude. Uh, And uh, also more, more women. And so they run some training and uh, I felt a little bit lost creatively at that time and I'd started going to a network called Project Noir which is all about uplifting the voices of uh, Charlene Flanders she's incredible I love her her. and it just he said it doesn't matter whether you create and it's just for you but if you're a creative you need to create and so I had new bride but I was just writing about weddings so it's not it wasn't exercising that muscle for me and it was just really supportive and inspiring and they encouraged me to just create so I got accepted onto that course I think I saw it advertised in that network as well and then um, it was a a few months later I just said right I want to have a conversation on camera about race who would be willing to take part and I had a network of people that were very, very generous and a cinematography team who were very generous with their time and expertise. And I put a call out for a few others. And that's what we did. We just had the cameras rolling and we were talking about what it means to be black and a person of colour in the UK in the middle of all this Brexit. It was superb. Can we see it anyway? Um, it's currently being submitted to film festivals. Ooh. So... You will eventually see it online, but um, it can't be online until it's... If if I want it to be successful, it, it has to stay offline in terms gotcha. of the submission process. So. Is the trailer still out there? It I'm is. I'm just thinking about um, making sure that I can release the trailer yeah. so people can watch that at least. Um, it was an amazing, amazing piece of work. Thank really you. Really interesting, very intense. I was um, so vulnerable that night. I couldn't even watch. It was... It was uh, very impactful. Um, and you also got some fantastic contributors uh, like Toby, mm. Toby Redden from Black Ballad. Uh, Denise Rawls as yes. well was in there. Um, superb. So definitely um, check out the trailer. Are, are you going to do any more? Anything? Are you going to develop that kind of side of your to. work? Um, I would love to. It, it comes down to um, having support and investment to, to be able to, to do it justice and also to be able to pay everybody who's involved because that was my passion project and everybody dedicated their time so I would love to be able to do it because I think the conversations are very important for people to hear one person who came is a white man and he said that's the most I've that's the most powerful um conversation I've ever heard about race in my life and it's educated me on many levels that any conversation I've had before haven't so wow that's outstanding and really you know that's that's all that that's that's the importance and the impact of these conversations isn't it to try and just um for everyone to try and understand a bit better what it is like to feel othered yeah right um 
And with that project, where do you where does your confidence come from in that? Because not everyone's got that confidence to go look at that scheme and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to apply for that. I mean, <laughs> what? Really? Because some people would look at it and just go, yeah, it looks great, but it's not for me. And I couldn't handle any of that. Um, I might dearly want to, but I am not in a, a place where I can. I mean... Where does your confidence come from? What, what advice would you give to someone who... who I, would, my, I would just say I, I had all those thoughts to, as well, but I did it anyway. So it's, it sounds cliche, but oh, feel, like the book. feel the fear and do it anyway. That's right. Um, what, 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 what are you going to lose? Um, and, it, you know, there are, just feel the fear and do it anyway. It's just you don't grow without feeling fear. You don't grow without discomfort. So... If you want to make change or you want to expand yourself or you just want to get curious, you have to get outside your comfort zone. So it's not to say that I don't feel those things. I just do it anyway. (laughs) I love it. And I think, you know, on top of that, you you, um, joining me for this time, um, this for me in this whole series and bringing a whole series of fabulous women to the table to discuss their lives is for me about inspiring other women mm-hmm. to just uh, be bigger, be big, be bigger, be greater, um, be true to themselves, um, and to be uh, uh, to be to be good mm-hmm. to themselves, right? To be kind to themselves. Um, I wonder, you know, given everything you've talked about, everything that you are, everything you've been through, everything you do. Are there any words of inspiration or advice you can offer women who, you know, might be sitting here? Anyone listening to this and going, you know, I need to try and change things in my life. I want to make an improvement in my life. Mm. I'm going to answer this question with a little bit of a a story to Mm. give context. Mm. So I um, lost somebody very dear to me in my life in 2016. It was the same year that I did that. In the filmmaking initiative and we would be the same age 37 we lost him to bowel cancer and it was the most devastating thing watching somebody who is who you love and also is the same age as you die because you suddenly realize you are not immortal and one of the gifts that we had with Jermaine's passing was that he had time so he had time to spend with us to tell us his hopes and dreams for us um and one of the things he said to me was that, Nova, you are not living your purpose. And at that time, I was working in another job and doing New Bride as a side hustle and everything else as a side hustle. And a series of events happened and I just took the leap. I thought, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And if I continue to shrink myself, if I continue to play it small, if I continue to be putting what other people think about me ahead of my own progress, my own growth, and ahead of the impact that I can have with my family and other people's lives, then I am doing myself a disservice. And there was something that Tyler Perry said recently that really resonated with me. People's lives are wrapped up in your dreams. And if you are not honoring your dreams or at least striving towards achieving them, then that has a ripple ripple effect with who you also impact. So there is a bigger purpose. We are serving more than just ourselves. And um, I just think we do ourselves a dishonor to, to not be 
who we truly are. And if, if we are in an environment where we cannot be who we truly are, then we need to think about how we move ourselves from that environment so that we're in one where we can flourish. Nova, thank you. You're welcome. What incredible words of wisdom from Nova. She really is amazing. So multifaceted and totally slaying in everything she puts her mind to. So please go and find her. She's at NovaReid, R-E-I-D dot com. And you can find all her social media in the podcast descriptions in the app or the site you're listening on. Now, it would really help us out if you spread the word, if you could find a couple of minutes to share the Fabulous Woman podcast with your friends and family. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And we'd love a feedback, comment or review. Hashtag Fab Woman Podcast or at Fabulous Woman Podcast on Instagram. Thanks very much for listening. Come back for another one soon, won't you? The Fabulous Woman podcast is a Raging Brum production.